Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I'm so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Before we start today's conversation, I just want to share with you how excited I am to be launching my new course, the Aware Partnering in Parenthood course. This course dives deep into all the different ways that we can bring the beautiful framework of aware parenting to our relationships with the other parent of our child. Whether we are together with that person, whether we are in a blended family, whether we're separated, or if we have nothing to do with them, how we can still incorporate this beautiful framework to support our children at times of conflict, to support ourselves at times of conflict, and to create more connected and compassionate relationships with the other parent of our children. This is something that comes up in pretty much every consult I offer. And it's so normal for all of us to be finding it challenging at times to be parenting together with somebody else. So this course dives deep into all of these things. And up until the 10th of December, I'm offering a special 25% discount on the course. So even if you buy it now and decide to do it later, this is a good time to get hold of this beautiful resource to support more connection, more compassion, more respect, and more ease and fun and joy in your parenting journey. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today, I'm really happy because I'm having a conversation with B from Core Floor and Restore. Hi, B. Hi, how are you? Yeah, good. Thank you so much for making time to come and talk to us. I met B, was it this year or was it last year? I can't, it was this it's year, April. surely. April. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really sure where this year's gone, so it could have been last year. <laughs> no, it was this year, you're right. Um, I was fortunate enough to come to your workshop that you run with Lael about supporting the mother, and it was really amazing. So it's really lovely to connect again and to get a chance to talk to you. But I'll just quickly introduce you in case people aren't aware of who you are. So B is a midwife, a core and pelvic floor specialist, an educator and an author. She is the creator and founder of Core and Floor Restore, an online pregnancy, birth and postpartum hub. She is the co-owner of Mother Asian with Lael Stone and co-host of the Great Birth Rebellion podcast. She loves all things from pregnancy to parenting, but mostly she loves her husband and her two boys. That's such a beautiful <laughs> intro. So yeah, welcome B. For having me, it's a huge honor to be here. So I wonder if we could start off just by talking a bit about how you came in to be doing this sort of work and, and where aware parenting fits in this in your family. Yeah, I always like to tell long stories, so buckle in. But um, I moved to East Gippsland after the birth of my first baby and intuitively just felt the need to connect with an osteopath. And I'd never had osteopathy before, but it was this real, like, I don't, I, it, I, it was intuitive. That's all I can say. I'm just, and now I look back and I trust the whole bigger picture, but I connected with this woman and I sat in her office and I thought, we're going to be really good friends. 
And she disclosed that she was 10 weeks pregnant with her third baby. And I was like, I'm going to be her midwife and we're going to be really good friends, <laughs> breaking all the regulation rules there. And that's exactly what happened. And she, as it turned out, I had no idea who Lailstone was. I had no idea what aware parenting was. I knew about attachment parenting as a, as a midwife. And we had been foster parents before we'd had our own children. And so I, I was living in Alice Springs at the time and attachment parenting was really big at that time. And so I'd known about that, but that was about it. And I think it's wild, you know, us midwives, we're meant to care for people up until six weeks. And I had the privilege of doing that because I had continuity of carer roles. But parent, like this didn't even come into anything we ever learned about. We never learned about parenting. We never really learned about women's health or postnatal or anything that I now look and go, this is like midwives hold so much power. They have so much time with women. They have more time with women than any other health professional in this space. And, and we just don't know about it. And you know, I, I think because we'd foster parented, I, I thought I knew a bit about parenting, but I really, I knew nothing. And I really knew nothing about myself as, as I do now, which I obviously didn't have the capacity for at the time. But Leo, yeah, so I, I started hanging out more and more with this woman whose name is Jess and I watched her and I was like, she says things that are different. And she does things that are different. What is she doing? Like she's not parenting how I've witnessed parenting. Like this, she's, she's, you know, that song, one of these things, like it, it was different. And I liked it and I aligned with it and I wanted to know more about it. And I didn't really know. I think she put me actually in touch. It's funny how things can be so impactful, but you forget how the, the finer details of it. But basically she put me in touch with Leo when I created my core of pelvic floor programs and was like, this would be a good woman for you to connect with. And then Leo reached out to me and I, and I think, you know, as incredibly intuitive as she is, she could see that some big things were happening for me. And we reached out and did a couple of Instagram lives and the information to me was wild and it was so new and, it was just like, wow, this works. But it also, as much as it was new and wild, it deeply resonated with me. And I remember the first one-on-one -on -one chat I ever had with Leo, you know, the way she explained parenting, I was like, well, that's how I midwife, you know, holding that deep anchored energy with the beautiful branches, the trust, the being open to everything. Like I was like, I know how to do that. My body knows what that feels like because that's the space that I hold as a midwife oh, I just need to hold that for my kids. Okay, like that, I can do that. And so then, yeah, I did a few sessions with Leo and it changed my whole life. It saved my relationship with my husband. 100% we would be divorced by now if I hadn't come to this work. And it enabled me to work through my mother wound and now have a hell of a lot of compassion for my mom and to have reconnected with that relationship and enjoy that relationship actually because you know I think I knew my relationship with my partner would change but I was not aware how much my relationship with my parents would change becoming a parent that is I you know and I, and I hate that this is what no one tells you because often people are telling you we're just not we don't have the capacity to hear it but I don't feel like that was ever talked about and that was deep and painful and a lot of years of, of healing and then 
yeah, obviously the Aware Parenting podcast, I listened to a lot of episodes and I just became a huge advocate. And the reason I did is because I saw the impact it had on my life. And my husband and I were just actually talking about this last night. And I was like, you know, you're a minority in the fatherhood space because he is our family's primary caregiver. He is full-time primary caregiver. He's also a man. He grew up with three sisters and he's a teacher. So he's so used to being around women. He's also incredibly willing to learn and, and be open and he can be cynical and pessimistic, but he does have a level of a beautiful level of trust. And I said, you, you've trusted this from the beginning. You've, You've, you took this on board, like most, because we're talking about him now, maybe perhaps all the women I work with say, when's your husband going to do stuff for our husbands, right? And he's open to it. And, we, and so we, this is why we were talking about it. I'm like, you know, do you want to do this? Does this feel right for you? And he said, well, I trusted it from the start because I saw you shift. I saw you change. And I went from a very aggressive, lost mum who didn't want to be alive anymore to feeling really calm and connected to my partner and my children. And I want to say that didn't happen overnight and it still doesn't always feel that way. Yeah, it definitely did not happen overnight um, and it still doesn't always feel like that. But big, big, big shifts happened with me just working with Lael and being curious and open and I guess putting a whole lot of life experience all the pieces together and understanding it. And, and I'm really grateful for my work in midwifery because uh, I think a lot of what I do now comes from that body stuff that I just so deeply know and believe in because I've worked with it for 20 years. Oh, wow, B, thanks for sharing that story. It's really, really touching to hear. And I think it's so powerful how you describe how aware parenting just so made sense to you when you saw somebody else doing it and responding to their children in that way and how that then called you to reach out to learn more about it and how as you started to learn this approach and put it into practice with your family how it just transforms everything mm. and how it transformed your relationship with your your children your relationship with yourself your relationship with your partner, your relationship with your parents and, and healing that part with your mother. I mean, it's just so, so profound, isn't it? And I love what you were saying too about your husband and how he is certainly in the in a minority and that he, he he's willing to to explore all this for himself and to put it into practice, but how he's able to see the benefit because what of what he sees the changes in you and the changes in in how you are in the world and how you know we need to reach out for support and we need to be you know, having access to these amazing resources like the Aware Parenting Podcast, that's just such an incredible resource for people and what that then supports in us to be able to shift. And, and what you were describing at the end there, that shift from being aggressive and lost to being often calm and connected. And, and when you're not knowing how to come back to what you need in order to return to that. I mean, that is just life-changing, isn't it? And, and not just for this lifetime, like for, for my children and grandchildren, like we're shifting massive intergenerational stories here. And, you know, I think so often when people come to this kind of work, they can think, oh, they can 
feel that they're responsible for shifting the whole story. And that's something when I often work with people, it's the biggest, like, biggest kind of thing. It's like you're not responsible for shifting all the intergenerational stuff. You just change one tiny part of the story and look at the flow-on effect. It's, it compounds. It's huge. And, you know, like my boys are witnessing a father in a non-paid work role. Um, that's the first ever time that's happened in our whole ancestry. You know, that's huge that he's the primary caregiver. And, yeah, and I remember the first time we practised an aware parenting approach in parenting. It was after dinner one night. I can't remember what happened, but all I remember about it was my husband going, that was so much easier. <laughs> and I think that's what called me to watching my girlfriend. I was like, that just looks nicer and easier and it looks like it feels better. And it did. And then I remember she really called me into it. My baby was, my second baby was four weeks old and we were camping and we'd done this wild, it was a horrible postpartum really. I needed it. I needed it to learn a lot of lessons, but it was big and and we traveled to Melbourne and then Queensland and then we were in Tathra and my baby was there and I was like, he's just crying all the time. Like, I don't know what to do. And she was like, have you thought about listening to his feelings? And I remember just being like, oh, I can't do that. Like just that, you know, that real like that hit me. And then I sat with it and I thought about it. And again, it was her. It was her doing that beautiful, gentle invitation of can you do this? And, you know, there being capacity for it because of previous things that I'd done. And I do, I see this kind of way of being, way of parenting. It's, It's extending, it's expanding and it's beautiful. And I think because it's my world, I often think it's the majority. But then sometimes I comes at swimming lessons the other day and I was like, oh, no, this is really important to keep talking about because <laughs> this is not the majority. This is mm. not the majority. Mm. Um, and it's, it's big. We're still a long way to go. Mm, absolutely. And I loved what you were talking about there, how we're shifting this intergenerational stuff in, in, in pieces, like in, in, in small chunks. And it's, it's what the pebbles. <laughs> <laughs> it's so nice to, once we see the power and the potential of aware parenting, it can be really easy to sort of burden ourselves with this idea that, okay, right, well, we're going to shift everything then. And that's just not how it can be. It has to be a, a slow little process of small things at a time we can't undo it all but wow it's it's just so powerful I love time I think um, I think many of us when we come to this work we sit in that intellectual space and the intellectual space loves to solve a problem and it loves a to-do list and I remember I remember turning up to like probably I think it was my second ever session with Leo and I was just like I know it was probably my third and I was like, okay, I'm here to feel all my feelings and do all that and get it done and never have to do this again. And she was like, oh, that's not how this works. <laughs> what do you mean? I've got my to-do list. I just need to check it off. So we're all good. And, you know, I work a lot with mums and it's it, it's around that because it's huge, that need to just get it done. It's like there's no end point here. There's no end point. And and that can feel big for people because we're used to endpoints, we're used to answers, we're used to closure. And yeah, it isn't in this space. Yeah. And especially like at the beginning of that process, we often feel quite overwhelmed when we first start to explore these parts and become aware of this 
work that is there for us. And it can feel like sometimes that you're just swirling around constantly in your head with big feelings and thoughts and core beliefs and imprints and all of those things. And it can feel really overwhelming for people. But yeah, it is this just this beautiful way of slowly learning how to support ourselves in the difficult moments uh, again and again and again that come up in life. And have that support. I, the first session I had with Lael, it was so overwhelming. And she was so gentle. Like, I, you know, her approach is always gentle. But I was just like, oh, I'm going to shut that down and never go there ever again. Like, because it does. It feels so big. And I think, and, and people do. And sometimes they come back and sometimes they never do. And, and that's trusting, you know, the work. Yeah, I mean, I remember Marion saying that to me as well, like one time in one of our sessions where I was complaining about my son waking up early in the morning and she was like, you know what, what what's there for you? And I was like, oh, I don't, no, I don't want to know. No, 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 we don't need to go there. That's fine. This isn't you. about me. This is about my son and yeah. the fact that he is waking up yeah. early it has yeah. nothing to do with me. I know, just the triggering, right? Like, yeah. what do you mean this could be about me? It's like, yeah. And then feeling comfortable with that. Yeah. Yeah. So if we can talk a little bit about your work as well, B, one of the things I know that you really love supporting parents with is around like birth, well, both obviously the preparation and the actual giving of birth, but also like birth debriefing and supporting parents after that process. Do you want to talk a bit about like why that's important and and who it's helpful for and, and how you go about offering and supporting parents with that? Yeah, thank you. It's a, a really important space to talk about. I actually started offering it working, I was working with people physically around core and pelvic floor issues. And what I observed was that when they had trauma, they wouldn't connect to their body. And so I started to realize that in order for them to physically heal, they had to emotionally heal. And so I just was like, I can listen to stories. I can do this. I can listen to their birth and help them unpack it and then connect with their body again. And that's how it started. And now, I mean, bleeding birth and menopause are the three biggest transformations we have as women in our life. And they're not seen as that. They're seen as something that we have to have grit and shame over and that the medical world dominates in and that we hand our expertise and knowledge and wisdom from our, of, of our bodies over. But, you know, anything that is a transformation requires support and unpacking. And I believe every birth deserves to be heard. I've had two this last week where people have rocked up to tell me how epic their births are. And I'm like, yes to that. Like how epic is that, that you're having, you know, your story heard? Because I think with birth debriefing, people have preconceived ideas and belief systems around what birth trauma is and, you know, that you have to meet this kind of certain criteria in order to be heard. I had, in quotation marks, the most perfect first birth. What a lot of people who planned for a physiological birth want. It was completely undisturbed. It was completely physiological. I didn't tear. I didn't bleed. I was a total badass. I birthed my baby at home at 36 weeks, which was, you know, not wouldn't have been allowed public if it was publicly funded. Um, and... Um, and, and I just want to say, you know, that that was considered a preterm birth, but um, was something that I was willing to do and what felt right for me at the time. And I was supported in that medically as well. Um, and I still had birth trauma. 
And whether we want to call it that or whether we want to call it lessons to learn or offerings or gifts or whatever you want to call it, you know, you birth with your whole story. You birth with all your mind and all your body. And so naturally in that there's going to be lessons that you learn about yourself and they're there in pregnancy. They're often, I mean, they're 100% there in preconception and they continue to be there in postpartum and motherhood if we don't address them. And I really see, and and this I say this often, and it can be really triggering and sound, you know, for those that work, don't work in this kind of space, it can feel a bit alarming. But I love birth trauma because it often, if there is space given to it and that person is supported to be able to process and heal, it often enables them to get their power back. And um, that was often either given or taken away from them in birth. And it can complete the transformation and make it incredibly powerful. So my two biggest themes are that I don't think I'm good enough and I have that fear of failure and that need to be perfectionist and that no one cares about me. So, you know, my wounds were when I got out of the, when my midwife turned up as the head was coming out and said, get out of the bath, you're going to burn your baby. I felt like I was in trouble and I felt like no one cared about me because no one got me a towel, right? And you can be listening to this going, oh, you know, but that's not birth trauma. That's where the emotional wounds were for me. And then I didn't birth the way I wanted to. I swore my baby out and I sounded like I was being murdered and I had envisioned breathing my baby out. Now, I never up until that point breathed anything through. I I swore it sounded like I was getting murdered in a lot of things. I remember I hiked Kokoda Trail and they had bets thinking that I was going to need to be helicoptered out. And my mate who did it with me was like, nah, she is smashing it. She's just very vocal. And so I was like, I'm a really vocal person as if I wasn't going to be vocal in my birth, right? But this belief system and what I needed to be and what it needed to look like. Now, those wounds would have been there for me regardless. If I'd birthed in hospital, I would have found points that I'd failed, in inverted commas, you know, because I maybe birthed in hospital because I had an epidural because I had a cesarean. I'm not saying that that is failure, but that would have been it for me. I would have found these points no matter where or, or what happened. And that's the gift of birth because thinking I'm failing all the time and thinking no one cares about me, neither of those stories served me in motherhood. And so I believe birth debriefing is for everyone and I believe everyone's story needs to be heard and that all our feelings around our birth need to be validated and there is no criteria and there is no reference point and there's no oh well she had this so I should be grateful it's just validating the experience for you and how it felt for you and that will be completely different you know I've been at births where I was like that was the most magical thing ever and the woman felt very traumatized and then I've been at other births where I'm like that was horrific and they're like that was the most amazing thing right it's our own interpretation of it and what it feels like for us and there's not often a lot of space for our stories to be heard you think about traditionally what postpartum would have looked like and there would have I believe been space for it because we talked a lot and communicated and connected and so the way we offer it is online and face-to-face and I've got people working with me now that offer the, the sessions as well because I don't have a lot of capacity anymore and I'm teaching people to be able to do this as well because it's it's so important. You think about, you know, there's 300 births a year 
And we, you know, Lael and I created a program called Holding the Mother, and that's because we really need this shift in this culture from holding the baby to holding the mother. You hold the mother, and she'll hold the baby really well. Yeah about holding the baby that's not our job I was with this I was at an event yesterday and this woman had a newborn baby I said do you need some help and she said oh do you want to hold my baby and I said no not unless you want me to hold it I just want to know if you need support right but we're so used to like oh you want to hold my baby I'm like your baby's not for me to hold that's not that's not my job unless you physically need me to of course I will but I'm not just going to come along and let my ovaries be satisfied by something you've created. I'm I'm here to help you if you need that. But so often that's not what our culture does and it's not what the boomers like to do. Mm. <laughs> mm. I love that, B. I really loved how you shared all that. And I, I think it's really important for us to understand just how birth trauma can look different for all of us. And it's about the individuals. I mean, that's what trauma is, right? It's always about the individual's perception of what's happened to them and and their experience of it and the wounds and the, and the lessons that are there for them. So I loved how you described that. I think it's really, really helpful. And I loved how you're talking about re-empowering women through this process to to be able to refine their their sense of power just through telling stories and having their feelings heard and being validated which is of course what aware parenting is and, and just doing that again and again and often these stories don't get told at all but really they need to be told several times it's not just a one off thing is it where you tell your birth story and then that's it it's all healed it's gone but it's actually things that we need to come back to again and again and it's interesting cuz like pretty much every aware parenting concert i do something about the birth and the trauma that the mother experienced and the child in that birth process will come up. And so I just think it's so, so helpful. And I loved what you were saying there at the end about the shift from holding to holding the mother rather than holding the baby. Because yeah, as you say, that's often the focus. It was interesting the other day I was talking to my daughter, we were folding laundry and just chatting away together. She's 17. And um, we were, she was saying, oh, just imagine like in 10 years time, we'll be here and we'll be folding laundry and I'll have a baby sleeping over there. And I was like, oh, that's so beautiful. Can I listen to your baby's feelings? And she was like, uh-uh, I'm listening to my baby's feelings, but you can listen to my feelings. <laughs> and so that's like exactly what it needs to be, right? Supporting the mothers, listening to their feelings, hearing their stories uh, and supporting them to, to reclaim that, that power and that sense of wholeness again. I thought I um my body knew I wasn't pregnant this week, but my mind was convinced it was. I was late for my bleed, and I'm never late. Um, and I texted Lael, and I was like, I'd already booked you in for a month of like listening time. Part <laughs> of like it was that was already happened in my head. <laughs> it's like priorities. Yeah, I know, right? Like it's just like don't get oh it was why it was a wild start to this week but anyway just a lot of love to anyone who wants babies or doesn't want babies or just anything in the womb is just so big and there's not enough space for any of it and you know so we do birth debriefing but I do early pregnancy loss so loss of baby debriefs at any time I think you know miscarriages as they're formally known they don't get anywhere near as much space as they need. Mm. Um, issues with trying to conceive, not wanting babies, wanting more babies, but your partner not wanting them, like all of that. It's kind of, we can discuss any of that. I mean, we discuss anything in our space as well, but I, I just think anything to do with the womb, it doesn't get enough listening time. 
Yeah. And and so often, so much of it is really painful and really, really difficult. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that your daughter wants you to listen to her. Though. How, how beautiful. <laughs> so let's talk a bit about the pelvic and pelvic floor stuff, because that's another what place where you know, most women after birth experience some kind of physiological and emotional trauma and and difficulties. What what would you love women who are listening to understand about yeah, what goes on with the pelvic floor and how we can support ourselves physiologically to to heal some of that? I think the pelvic floor is often given is often blamed for our issues when often it's a victim. And it's a victim of physical trauma and or emotional and both. And we know that it's an emotional muscle. There was research done in 2001 that showed that when we feel threatened in any capacity, we tense our pelvic floor muscles. And I think this is the biggest issue is that most women feel like things are going to fall out and so they clench for dear life. And we value strength in our culture much more than balance. The body wants to be in balance. It doesn't want strength to dominate and it's less about looking at the pelvic floor and more about looking at the whole person physically and emotionally you know I see so many women who get diagnosed and didn't have symptoms and then do all their symptoms get worse like that's an emotional connection Mm. right that's happening because you're scared and you're worried about it and you know I tell I just want to say I want to plant a seed a you can heal B, it isn't just with Kegels. Yes, connection to the pelvic floor is important and we want that muscle contracting, but it's part of the autonomic nervous system. And once the connection's there, it should just actually do what it needs to do on its own. And sometimes that needs connection work. Sometimes it needs repatterning work in terms of like fascial connection and, and where pressure goes in the body. But we need to be seen, and this is where I love pelvic floor osteopaths, people that are holistic. You know, we don't just want to assess your pelvic floor. We want to assess your breathing, your movement patterns. We want to look at the your hip range of movement, what you do with your adductors, what happens with your feet. Like, you know, the pelvic floor is one part of us. And it's not just a muscle. It's connective tissue as well that's in, included and that our issues can be from tension, which is, you know, a tense muscle is a weak muscle because it can't do what it needs to do. But I think the emotional aspect is really missed, massively, massively missed in terms of our treatment of these conditions. The pelvic bowl holds so much of our stories. And anyone I ever work with when it comes to prolapse and incontinence, there is a big story there around what they're experiencing. It's not just whether a muscle can contract or not. And that isn't taken into consideration by many people and you know i mean it's any anything that our body does the mind is not just in the head it's dispersed throughout the whole body and it's connected the fact we've separated mental and physical health is just like hang on a second i thought we were meant to be evolving (laughs) what what have we done what have we done right Mm -hmm. you can't separate a unit it's one unit I mean, we talk about separating units. All I think about is how mothers and babies get separated. Just think, what are we doing? Like, it's just, you probably are the same and probably most of your listeners. Like, you just look at the world and you're like, what have, what have we done? And why aren't, I mean, I think more and more of us are stopping and pausing and, and then getting really overwhelmed because it feels huge. But just, we're not evolving anymore. We're the sickest we've ever been. You know, yeah, we're living longer, but for what? 
think the biggest thing that we need to do in order to heal is have that connection between the mind and body again. So I always say healing requires connection and connection requires compassion. And so, you know, if you've got any issue, it takes a holistic approach, whether it's in your gut, whether it's in your muscles, whether it's in around your bladder, you know, and it, and so, so many of these conditions are so poorly understood, like endometriosis and pelvic pain and just not taking into consideration the person. It's a person issue. It's not a one or three layers. The pelvic floor consists of three layers. It's not just three layers of muscle. There's a whole person and we come with our issues, with our whole mind and body story, and we need to be treated with our whole mind and body stories. And I think when that happens, magical, well, I don't think I know. I witness it every day when I work with people that those people also have to be willing to do the work. Yes. It can be much easier to go and have surgery or, and I'm not saying surgery is easy. Please don't, please don't think I'm saying that, but um, what I do doesn't work for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think it's about really, if you're listening to this and it's not landing, then great. Go find something that does land. I don't believe there's a right or wrong in anything what works for someone won't work for another because of the person approach, right? There's a unique human being there. And so, yeah, surgery works for some people really well. I'm a big believer that the body wants to heal. We have a natural mechanism called homeostasis that, you know, wants to bring us back into balance. This is science stuff, right? So the body wants to heal. And I'm a huge believer in the body's wisdom that often gets ignored and overlooked, and that approach will work really well for people. And, and a big part of that approach is exercise for me and moving our bodies. And for other people, that won't work. And they'll want interventions. And that's okay. There's no right or wrong. So just as always, my philosophy at Quorum Floor is do you. And do you in a way that works well for you. And I got to say, the body work that I have now, I would have thought I'd have to be very drugged to accept it a couple of years ago you know mm -hmm. i've changed a lot and i'll continue to change and what works for me now may not work for me in a couple of years time and you know the people that work really well for me now may not either it's it's about meeting yourself and who you're at where you're at and who you are in that moment and what's going to feel good yeah absolutely i mean it just has to be holistic and yeah, I loved how you were describing that. There's so many layers to it, and it's never just one isolated muscle in the body that we are working with. It's always the whole person, isn't it? And that sense too that it's yeah, each individual is on their own journey and will find what resonates for them. That's beautiful as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I'm not. I'm definitely not making anyone wrong for what they do. It's it's gotta because if, if it feels good, it tends to work. If it's what your body feels like it needs it works and if it's not working that's when we go a little bit deeper yeah yeah so one of the other things that you talk about on on your social media and so on is around particularly for mothers how we set up these these beliefs about ourselves as, as children that then play out in our mothering to the detriment of us and to our children and our births and all the rest of it, particularly around mothers putting themselves last, you know, not having boundaries, finding it really hard to say no, not, not really tuning into our needs and going into that guilt and comparison and all that kind of thing. 
How, how does this impact us in, in birth and, and in that post-birth period? And, and what can we do to support mums to counter some of that? I think the biggest thing I talk about is the good girl state. I think majority of us are good. We're very good little girls. And birth, rec- birth and motherhood require us to be badass wise women. And that's often the transformation. That's often the nudge. That's often where the trauma can lie. And when you're in a good girl state, you are fawning, which is part of, um, for those that don't know, it's a stress response. When we fawn, we're in a stress response. So we're sympathetically nervous system dominated. And if you know anything about the polyvagal theory, it doesn't serve us very well to be in that state for a long time. But I think the majority of us mother in that state forever. And this is where uh, when we look back and there can be a lot of trauma because we didn't listen to our intuition. And I think it's a really hard thing. Women get told all the time, listen to your body, listen to your body. Your body's amazing. But we've never been told that prior to pregnancy and birth. We weren't raised like that. We don't work like that. As women, we typically have to pretend that our bodies don't exist in the paid workspace. We have to pretend that we don't have ovaries and hormones and that we're not bleeding or longing for a baby or just lost a baby or we're pregnant and we can't tell anybody because heaven forbid the baby doesn't survive and we have grief. Like we have to pretend all the time that we don't have wombs and ovaries and hormones and we're not cyclic. We have to live in this very straight up and down world and that doesn't serve us and it doesn't serve our bodies and it doesn't serve us in birth and postpartum. So a big part of what I do is it's retraining us to drop out of the intellect and drop into the intuition. That can be really hard to learn and often we don't even see the need to do that until we reach trauma. But it's about women finding their voice and knowing that they're the expert of their body and they can listen to their intuition and training that and relearning how to do that because most of us are being deeply conditioned to not, to be connected to our body and our feelings and our stories and to have support because we're not meant to be our, we're not meant to advocate for ourselves in birth. It's not a place of advocacy it's a place of feeling and you can't think when you have feelings and a baby moving through your pelvis creates very big feelings on a very (laughs) physical level and this whole concept that we have to advocate for ourselves is just bizarre and that's why I love doulas and I love having your own midwife and birthing in a place that feels safe for you but so often we call in care providers that perhaps don't serve us perhaps are there to play out a story. They may be really lovely, but our philosophies don't align. And I see that over and over again. People will often say they were so lovely, but (laughs) they were so lovely, but, and we don't get rid of them because they're lovely and we don't want to hurt their feelings. And we say yes to the induction because we don't want to hurt their feelings or because we're incredibly scared because we're vulnerable and we've been played the dead baby card, which is never okay. And I'm so sorry if that was played to you because it gets played over and over and over again. And there's a big difference between having a discussion around risk and being played the dead baby card as well because sometimes your baby dying needs to come into the conversation, but it's the words and the terminology we use around it. And if anyone ever feels coerced or threatened into something, then they're not, then they don't have this they're not given the space to make a decision that feels right for them. Yes. 
It's hard, isn't it? Because we're so vulnerable in that in that process often. It's such a vulnerable time in our lives. It's yes, it's so often the case that it's it's really traumatic and it, it really is also an amazing invitation to be able to heal some of that wounding and to be moving out of that state of fawning and stepping back into our power. But wow, it's such a big process. Uh, one of the other things that you love to talk about, B, that I really love how you share on is around exercise and caring for our bodies as mothers and moving our bodies in in ways that are nice without all that coercion and, you know, bringing in that aware parenting sort of attachment play element of fun and pleasure and joy and laughter. Well, what, what would you love people to to understand about like why we need to look after our bodies and how we can do that in a way that is actually enjoyable? <laughs> Well, you have to look at your, you know, to, to use Lael's word, imprint on exercise because many of us grew up in a culture where exercise was used in order to get a thin body and a toned body. And we grew up in the diet and an exercise culture that was the 90s and early 2000s and about how uh, we need to work really hard in order to have a body that is pleasing for other people. And so we have a whole culture that values appearance over function. And the function of exercise is enjoyment. The function of exercise is to feel pleasure and confidence and joy and be able to function really well in our bodies. And so most people's belief system, you know, comes from the current exercise industry that is drop and give me 20, work harder, push yourself to the limit. And that doesn't serve us when we're trying to heal or connect with ourselves. It does if you're training for something and you want to be the best at it. But who in motherhood, you know, is doing that as a majority? Yeah, there's a minority of athletes that need that kind of philosophy or perhaps they don't because, you know, the... The American soccer team attributes their winning to cycle tracking and training with the cycle. And I just think that is the most glorious thing I've ever heard and how wonderful that they're they're intuitively training and not pretending that those women don't have ovaries in a womb. And so finding joy in movement and knowing that movement can be breath work. It can be doing something that you love with yourself or your partner or your child. It doesn't have to be huffy, puffy, sweat and drop and give me 20 and make it burn. It can be if that's what you love. I love that some days and some days I love connecting with my breath and doing yoga. Some days I like going for a walk exercise needs to be intuitive and we need to move our bodies love movement and so often when we experience issues we don't want to move because we don't want to make it worse because and you know what we're afraid of there is the feelings of self-blame right we're not afraid of it getting worse we're afraid of how we're going to think and judge ourselves um and so moving in a really compassionate way that feels good yeah that might be climbing a mountain one day it might be swimming in the pool with your kids the next, but we're not designed to sit. Uh, we're designed to squat, but we're actually designed to move in a very multi-directional way a lot, and we don't do that anymore. And our bodies are trying to tell us that it's not okay to not do that, but we don't listen. We blame it on aging or different types of pains like yeah the pain's there because it's your body's way of communicating and saying it wants to move but that's not often the way it's interpreted 
I think it's really powerful to understand the the pressure and the messaging around uh, around exercise that most of us receive about which is so focused on appearance and not on our on our functioning and I loved what you were saying about all the different ways that we can incorporate movement into our into our lives in a really holistic way and moving in ways that are intuitive and and bringing in that compassion part of it too I really loved that and that you know the fact that we spend so much time now sitting and trying to to counter that with more natural ways of moving our body in a way that we are actually evolved to do and and bringing more of that into our life I think that's really inspiring thank you thank you I'm aware of the time B. Is there anything else that you really love to talk about that you would love women to understand more? I mean, yeah, the biggest things, and I guess probably if I could just love to to talk just quickly, I'd love to talk just quickly about um, the mum range and boundaries. And I guess Lael and I have a new program coming out called Centering the Mother, which is based on the workshop that you did. So that'll be out later this month if you're launching this in December maybe next year if um yeah it should be out hopefully by the time this podcast comes out and it's I I think so many of us experience mum rage we don't know what to do with it and we can feel really lost in motherhood and so yeah we've created this program to really help you find the best version of you and be that person and I really knew mum rage intimately and it wasn't a state that I wanted to mother in so just a lot of love to people who are experiencing that and you know we touch on a lot in the program but those bigger big pieces around self-care and boundaries and anger and connection to ourselves and our partners all these things that I feel like women really need a lot of support in when they transition into motherhood and, and couples need that support in, you know, my partner and I have had to learn how to be a couple again. I had to learn how to be a couple as, as parents because, you know, through no fault of our parents, we weren't modeled what we actually need right now. And that's huge. To, to All this relearning that we're doing is, is huge um, and needs a lot of support. So, yeah, please, I think my biggest message is always you're never alone. And, and to do you and do what, what works for you. So what works for you, just giving a little plug to that program because I think it's incredibly nourishing and it's it's everything that I've learned and and wish was modelled to me. Yeah, it sounds amazing, B. So, yeah, that's coming out next year. I'll put all those links in the, in the show description. But anything that we can do, I think, to support mothers with around self-care, around boundaries and around finding spaces for for all the really big feelings that we didn't even know we had that come up time and time again. Mm. Amazing. So where can people find out more about you and and the programs that you offer? Uh, So anything core and floor related. So I have run a modern mum village that will probably open in the new year and looking to work a lot with healthcare workers around intuitive work. And if that's all on www.coreandfloor.com.au and then my birth debrief mentorship and our motheration program, so holding the mother and centering the mother, are at www.motheration.au, no com in that one. Um, and that's all my work with Leo. Um, yeah. But, yeah, in one-on-one services, chatting up. We do live exercise classes as well as programs. So you can join us live. 
Um, you can watch recordings. You can do programs. We, we offer it a lot. Um, we do a lot of one-on-one birth preparation, postpartum, and 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 parenting support. So that's all um, on the website. Sounds amazing. The last thing I always ask before we end is if you could go back to the beginning of your parenting process, what would you love to tell yourself that would have been really helpful to understand and know then? That I matter. Beautiful. Beautiful. (laughs) That's so nice. Short and sweet and brief and absolutely essential. I love it. Thanks. I'm not normally short and brief, but I'm I'm getting better at that. Thank you so much, B. I really appreciate your time. I really loved listening to everything that you have to share and really look forward to connecting with you again somewhere else. Me too. Thank you. Thank you for having this podcast. So necessary. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm-hmm.